chapter thirty five of the widow married a sequel to the widow barnaby by francis milton trollope this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter thirty five conclusion the breakfast in berkeley square was not an early one but there were other causes for this besides the lateness of the hour at which the general and his lady had retired to rest for general hubert under all circumstances was sure to be in his bathroom by eight o'clock neither was it the protracted slumbers of his lady which retarded the morning meal for though on this occasion he certainly left her fast asleep her waking eyes had seen the light long before the clock struck nine but it sometimes happens that bedrooms and dressing-rooms are used for other purposes than sleeping and dressing the first object which greeted the eyes of mrs hubert as she opened them in consequence of her ears being invaded by a gentle sound near her pillow was her daughter elizabeth in her robe de chambre with her beautiful hair all collected in one nymph-like roll at the back of her small but finely proportioned head and her fair face glowing with an expression of happiness too vivid to suffer drowsy sleep to exist before it will you forgive me mamma you have been waked by a kiss it is i who opened your shutters and drew your curtains is it late dearest said mrs hubert rousing herself with the alertness of an alarmed conscience fearful of having kept a hungry party waiting for breakfast make the tea elizabeth do not mind me i shall be down very soon but i don't want you to be down very soon mamma replied elizabeth laughing and blushing beautifully at the same time i want to speak to you first let me be your lady's maid to-day may i willingly dear love said her mother accepting an offered kiss and shrewdly suspecting the subject of the offered conference she wrapped a dressing-gown round her slipped her feet into her quilted satin slippers and seating herself on the sofa at the bottom of the bed said now darling sit down close beside me and tell me all you have got to say not unless you will dress yourself mamma and going to the proper receptacles of stockings and shoes she found all that was needful and held them with pretty obsequiousness to her mother's hand mrs hubert looked up into the face of her daughter as she took them but the fair conscious girl turned away from the speaking glance with that true feminine shyness which would be wooed and not unsought be won even to speak the words she had come expressly to utter there would have been something pretty to watch in the struggle between this shyness and the wish to disclose the secret that was bursting from her lips but on such an occasion a mother's heart has no leisure for such speculations and sympathizing with elizabeth though she could not quite be said to pity her she threw her arm round her and pressing her to her bosom exclaimed seymour loves you elizabeth and last night he told you so is it not this he would disclose to me the only answer for a minute or two was a fond clinging return of the embrace and a shower of happy tears shed on the maternal bosom you guessed it then she said at length ah oh, mamma how cruelly we wronged him i thank heaven for it elizabeth replied her mother and he may well forgive a wrong which had its origin in such feelings as ours towards him oh yes mamma he is quite aware of that i do not believe he is at all inclined to complain of that or of anything else papa will be so kind as to see him this afternoon will he not and why not this morning elizabeth i don't know mamma henry said the afternoon i suppose he must have some business then observed mrs hubert for of course he must be very anxious to see your father he is very anxious my dear mother and very anxious to see you too replied elizabeth in a pleading tone indeed indeed you must never suspect him again of feeling anything that he ought not to feel 
from this point the conversation proceeded with about equal pleasure to both parties and it was not till a multitude of pleasant things had been said and listened to that mrs hubert stopped the course of them by exclaiming i am very glad elizabeth that this explanation took place between you last night i should have felt more perfectly ashamed of our suspicions i think than i do now if the first removal of them from your mind had been produced by an event of which you are still both ignorant instead of by the much more agreeable mode of his confessing his affection for you what event mamma demanded elizabeth our unfortunate cousin patty eloped last night from her father's house replied mrs hubert oh mother have i not reason to be glad that i had courage enough to go to the party last night you know not oh you can never know how i dreaded it but i thought it was right i thought it was less weak less indelicate than remaining at home to weep over departed hopes which i then thought i must have had no right to form had i yielded to this weakness mother might it not have been said that he only proposed to me because he had lost her i don't know my dear replied her mother laughing it is strange how much darkness may be dispelled by one little gleam of light it now seems to me to have been so perfectly absurd in us all to imagine for a moment that henry seymour could be in love with patty o'donagough that the idea no longer appears admissible but what i might have thought without this gleam of light i know not i wish mamma said elizabeth that you would tell papa what has happened before i see him at breakfast you are all but dressed now may i send claridge to tell him that you wish to see him in your dressing-room and why not tell him yourself dearest because i do not like to see him again till he knows all well then send claridge to him it was with feelings of happiness as pure and unmixed as those of her young daughter that mrs hubert communicated to her husband the disclosure which had been made to her but to her very great disappointment he shook his head ominously as he listened to her my dearest hubert are you not pleased by this news said she looking anxiously in his face i trust in heaven that you know nothing against this young man for that our elizabeth's happiness depends upon him is most certain agnes he replied i doubt if i have feelings of much stronger partiality towards my own sons than i have felt towards sir henry seymour i have liked and loved the boy from childhood upwards and though from a feeling of respect for sir edward i never uttered the opinion i blamed much less than i sympathized with the feelings of the ardent young man when he rebelled against the authority which insisted upon his submitting to a routine of education for which he was not fitted therefore i freely allow that all the ill behaviour of which we heard so much before he reappeared from his self-banishment has left no painful impression on my mind whatever no agnes it is what has happened since that has displeased me as to the idea that henry seymour intended to marry our red-cheeked young cousin i never entertained it for a moment but that he has paid her a very unwarrantable degree of attention i do believe and this whether it proceeded from fun or fondness is equally at variance with the character i should desire to find in the husband of elizabeth i should agree with you perfectly hubert did i believe it but what better authority have we for this unwarrantable degree of attention than for lord mucklebury's history of the intended marriage if you reject the one i cannot understand how you can receive the other because in the one case i have no proof nor ever had any beyond vague report while in the other i have the evidence of sir edward on what occasion hubert the occasion to which i particularly allude occurred but yesterday 
you know he was detained at st james till long after you left it and in coming away he saw sir henry seymour and miss o'donagough arm in arm and tete-a-tete at the bottom of the staircase as no lady and gentleman could possibly be seen without drawing upon themselves the degree of observation that sir henry seymour ought to have been desirous to avoid believe me montague i can explain all that to you and mrs hubert described with the most graphic truth sir henry's enforced surrender of herself and daughter in consequence of the manoeuvring of mrs o'donagough i confess she added that at the time i was very angry with him because it seemed to me that no man could feel himself obliged to yield such very civil acquiescence to any arrangement that did not accord with his inclination but surely the declaration of last night is sufficient to convince us that it was no partiality of any kind for miss o'donagough which induced him to yield to my unfortunate aunt's attack upon him after all that has passed between us on the subject my dearest agnes you will not think me too completely a convert to the opinions of aunt betsy if i confess to you that what i most object to in the business is sir henry seymour's having any acquaintance at all with the o'donagoughs or allens or whatever their real names may be the case was far different with us dear love when mrs compton blamed us so severely for our civilities to them at brighton in our case the alternative was a rude and almost cruel avoidance of a very near relation but no such apology can be offered in the case of seymour in the highest paroxysm of her displeasure aunt betsy never suspected either of us of seeking their society from preference we however can by no possibility assign any other cause for the familiar intercourse which has unquestionably existed between them and sir henry i have never encountered this wretch o'donagough allen anywhere without his alluding to seymour's having recently dined with him more than once i have questioned the young man with as great an air of indifference as i could assume to ascertain whether the statement were true or not and though he certainly stammered and coloured and looked very heartily ashamed which in my judgment by no means made the matter better he never denied that it was true i do not like this agnes it shows a species of coarseness or at best of indifference in the selection of acquaintance which your elizabeth dearest is as little likely to relish as her sweet mother mrs hubert sighed deeply there was too much apparent truth in these painful observations for her to attempt to reason them away yet she felt that if they were to be the means of separating sir henry and elizabeth they would bring a degree of certain misery greatly disproportioned to their importance as usual her husband seemed to read her thoughts for he added immediately do not however fancy my dear love that i have any desire to separate these young hearts it would be making poor henry pay a heavier penalty for his folly than it deserves but i think you will agree with me in advocating a longer period of probation and delay than would have been necessary had there been no such symptoms of levity the adventures of last night of all which he is probably still ignorant will assist pretty effectually in opening his eyes to the character of his strangely chosen friends let not our dear girl have her feelings wounded by a single word of all this the breakfast at which the young emily and her good governess were present passed off as such agitating meetings should always be permitted to do a look a smile a silent kiss said all that it was necessary to say and when it was ended elizabeth retired to her own room astonished at her own composure and capable of enjoying without any drawback whatever the dear delight of meditating for the first time with the privileged freedom of sanctioned love upon the unspeakable happiness that awaited her when general hubert and his wife were again left alone elizabeth and sir henry were for a moment forgotten while they discussed together the terrible discoveries of the previous night 
the testimony of mrs stephenson and miss peters was too clear to leave the slightest doubt respecting the character of the man with whom the widow barnaby had connected herself nor had they either of them any doubt that he was in truth the identical major allen who had caused them both so great annoy nineteen long years ago at clifton it wanted no warning voice from aunt betsy to awaken the general to the necessity of separating himself and his family now and for ever from all intercourse with so infamous a personage but he half frightened the gentle agnes by telling her that he was expecting frederick stephenson to call upon him for the express purpose of paying a visit in curzon street we mean to tell him said the general that we recommend his immediately taking measures to leave the country in order to avoid the dangers of a legal process which would be very likely to terminate in his being obliged to do so in a much less agreeable way would it not be better hubert to leave him to his own devices said his wife no agnes not in this country at least he cannot be permitted to remain here after the double discovery of last night frederick is extremely anxious that he should be off immediately for as long as he remains in the country he will be living in dread of his wife's being called into a court of justice to give evidence of the fraud of which she was a witness miss peters too will live under the same terror and indeed agnes i think it desirable for all our sakes that he should leave england as early and as quietly as possible you cannot doubt my being of the same opinion montague replied mrs hubert i only dreaded for you the extremely disagreeable operation of telling him so fear not for that agnes the visit will be a very short one depend upon it besides the real motive we have the ostensible one you know of inquiring if they have received any news of miss o'donagough mr stephenson was punctual to his appointment and the two gentlemen set out together for curzon street to the question is mr o'donagough at home the answer given was no sir short and decided is mrs o'donagough at home i don't know sir was the hesitating reply be so good as to tell her that a gentleman wishes to see her on very particular business please to walk in sir said the small and incautious page opening the dining-room door for them and then galloping up the stairs we had better follow him frederick or the affair will be endless suggested the general i agree with you answered his companion and before the little page had half delivered his message general hubert and mr stephenson were in the room the business which had brought them there was more likely to arrive at a speedy conclusion than they had hoped for when they entered it for greatly to their surprise they found assembled in the second drawing-room a group consisting of mr and mrs allen o'donagough their daughter the yellow gentleman with black moustache and whiskers and the two faithful perkinses besides i will not apologize for disturbing you major allen said general hubert advancing though i did not expect to find you here when i entered the business which brings us here is yours and not our own and cannot as i think you will allow be considered as an intrusion but it may perhaps be more agreeable to you to converse with us in another room major allen measured his two visitors with his eye and then threw a glance towards the dawn but whatever his first thoughts might have been his second which are proverbially the best induced him to rise from his chair and with a very dignified demeanour to marshal general hubert and mr stephenson into the next room the eventful scene of the last night's misadventures nay he even moved his hand in token that they might be seated but this hospitable notification did not appear to be noticed for neither gentleman accepted it my business with you sir said the general need not detain us long a very disagreeable accident made a lady for whom both this gentleman and myself are nearly interested the witness to a most nefarious transaction in which you were the principal agent 
it has also come to our knowledge that you are the same person who many years since at clifton was implicated under the appellation of major allen in a transaction which if i mistake not caused you to be sent out of the country perhaps sir as a citizen i should be doing my duty better by mentioning these facts to a police magistrate but i wish from motives purely selfish i confess that you should now leave england by your own act instead of that of the legislature but this if done at all must be done promptly a very short time will probably render it too late are you ready sir to give me an assurance that you will depart immediately if not or if hereafter i should find such assurance falsified i shall find myself obliged however reluctantly to obtain the same object by a process that will not depend upon yourself major allen was as usual exceedingly well dressed and his wig greatly relaxed in its wavy outline since he made his first reappearance at brighton was a perfect model for the head of a middle-aged man of fashion though his visitors stood he had seated himself in a deep armchair and assumed the attitude rather of one who was passing judgment than receiving it during the greater part of general hubert's address to him his countenance might have been studied in vain for any expression indicative of what was passing within but at its conclusion a mocking smile took possession of his features and looking at each gentleman steadily in the face for a minute or two he said i am really too happy in finding that my nearest connections and myself agree so entirely respecting the little experiment in steam navigation for which i am preparing pray sir to general hubert remember me very affectionately to my charming niece agnes and believe me to be your very obedient humble servant john william patrick allen o'donagough a strong emphasis was laid upon the last word for the purpose probably of making his auditors understand that he was aware of and appreciated the privilege by which every man has a right to designate himself by any appellation which he may choose to select having uttered this speech he permitted himself the audacious gratification of another steady stare at them both and then rising with an air of great hauteur and deliberation stalked through his favourite side door and closed it after him convinced that the business upon which they came was satisfactorily executed the two gentlemen were too well pleased by knowing that it was over to feel any inclination to quarrel with the manner of their reception after a moment's consultation they agreed that it would be better to visit the unfortunate mrs allen o'donagough for whom they felt much compassion a civil good-morning and therefore prepared to make their retreat by passing through the room by which they had entered no symptom however of any feelings which called for compassion seemed to exist amidst the party they once more came upon mrs allen o'donagough was lying at full length upon a sofa squeezed in at the foot of which perched miss louisa perkins in full view of the well-pleased maternal eye upon another sofa sat the yellow gentleman and patty extremely close beside him her arm lovingly thrown round his neck while the fair matilda with eyes full of very melancholy tenderness and her tall figure sustaining itself against the mantelpiece stood watching them general hubert was about to utter something like a friendly farewell but mrs allen o'donagough gave him no time for it you are making us an early wedding visit i must say gentlemen but it is all very right and proper between near relations give me leave to introduce to you my married daughter madame espartero cristinino salvator mundi tornarino these names she read from a paper ingenuously attached by a couple of pins to a cushion of the sofa that was exactly within reach of her eye you see general i have had the good fortune to marry my daughter before you have married yours and to a man of extremely high rank too permit me to present to you 
i beg pardon permit me to present you to don espartero cristinino salvador mundi tornorino my son-in-law neither you nor frederick stephenson have any title you know and therefore it is of course proper that you should be presented to him and not he to you i am sure i heartily hope that my great-niece elizabeth may do as well but by the by general i think it is but fair to give you a hint about that young scamp henry seymour it's no thanks to him if my daughter is married to a man of title and quality it would have been all the same if his false-heartedness had driven her to marry a mere nobody which with my high spirit and exalted feelings would certainly have broke my heart but it is not only his abominable falseness in love-making that i think it right to mention i wish also to let you know that there is a secret which he has taken the greatest of all possible care should never come to any of your ears you none of you guess i believe that the young scapegrace was off to australia when his penitent fool of a guardian thought he had shut himself up somewhere all in the dumps because of their quarrel when we were good friends together he told us all about it and if he had behaved as he ought to have done i would never have said a word to anybody on the subject but he has provoked me i won't deny it how did you find out he had been to australia mrs o'donagough demanded the general did you get acquainted with him there no not i general but i know it just as well as if i had for we all came to england in the same ship and it was then that you became acquainted with him yes to be sure it was now then madam said the well-contented general hubert we will wish you good morning and with a slight bow to the whole party the two gentlemen turned to leave the room i say cried madame espartero cristinino salvator mundi tornarino calling after them don't you forget to tell my cousin elizabeth what a famous lark i have had she must be sure to come and pay me a wedding visit on returning to berkeley square general hubert found his wife and daughter very anxiously gazing upon the outside of a large packet which had just been left at the door by the servant of sir henry seymour rightly guessing that it contained a confession of the exploit of which he had just learnt the particulars from mrs o'donagough he fearlessly opened it in their presence it contained more than one sheet of closely written paper and detailed at length and with very amiable penitence the history of his escapade the rebellious feelings which had led to it the very unpleasant acquaintance that it had entailed upon him and lastly with all the eloquence of deep feeling it explained how his ardent love for the general's lovely daughter had rendered galling the idea of appearing more wild and ill-conducted in the eyes of her family than he had yet done and induced him to endure the martyrdom of propitiating the good-will of mr o'donagough in order to secure his secrecy then sir henry it seems has not taken more pleasure in the acquaintance than ourselves general hubert said agnes with a very happy smile thank heaven that i know it he replied joyously and now my sweet elizabeth he added fondly embracing his blushing daughter i can tell you with a safe conscience that i know not another to whom i could resign the charge of making you happy with so firm a conviction that the precious trust would be executed faithfully who needs to be told that the young elizabeth's bridal was a gay one when it was known as a certainty that the allen o'donagough family together with their illustrious son-in-law were actually departed for the united states mrs hubert ventured to write a full true and particular account of all their recent adventures to her aunt mrs elizabeth compton announcing at the same time that her company was earnestly entreated at the approaching wedding and assuring her that she should meet there no nieces but such as she had too long honoured with her love 
for them to feel any doubts as to her pleasure at a reunion the delight of the still active old lady on receiving this letter was great indeed she could not have died happy and she knew it so long as the barnaby was an inhabitant of the same land as the huberts a dread of mischief and disgrace arising from the incongruous connection perpetually haunted her and in so serious a shape as very materially to disturb her tranquillity but she now felt that the danger was over for ever and immediately wrote an acceptance of the joyous invitation in a tone of heartfelt happiness that caused tears of pleasure to dim for a moment the beautiful eyes of the bride-elect of all the guests assembled at those splendid nuptials there was not one perhaps who excited so universal a degree of interest as herself all sought to do the venerable and animated old lady honour and no one could receive their honours more gaily or more gracefully giving throughout the whole day but one slight indication that she still could be a little mischievous if she chose it and that was by whispering in the general's ear when emily was assisting in distributing the wedding-cake after breakfast do you mean to send any wedding-cake across the atlantic dear general end of chapter thirty five the end of the widow married a sequel to the widow barnaby by francis milton trollope Recorded by Celine Major.